BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Hey, hope everyone is doing okay. It's been a really rough couple weeks, been a really rough couple years, not happy at all with the state of this country. I am, I mean, that is an understatement, but I'm trying to do what I can. I think the best things that we can all do for ourselves are to take care of ourselves and our mental health the best way we know how. Other than that, I know it can feel really helpless. I know we turn to social media for where to find information and how to donate and what to do. And my platform definitely has links and such, but I think the moral of my messaging is for everyone to just really take care of themselves however they can, whatever feels the most like fuel, whatever fills up your tank the most because the rest of the world will drain you. So take control of what you know is good for you. It's also always a struggle to jump back into a routine after the long three-day weekend, but we're here and we're doing it. And I had a fascinating conversation with a leadership strategist named Anne Hyatt. So throughout her career, she was the right hand to some of tech's biggest names, including Jeff Bezos, Yahoo's Marissa Meyer, and former Google CEO Eric Schmidt. Having left Silicon Valley, Anne is sharing the secrets behind the curtain to help others advance in their careers and adopt the same forward thinking that drove these leaders to success. She consults clients worldwide and hosts leadership training events for companies like Starbucks, Prudential, Siemens, AWS, and so many more. In her recent book, Bet on Yourself, she shares her advice on how people can really truly take charge of their careers and create a life full of learning, adventure, joy, and success. I learned so much from her, and I really truly hope you do too. Here is Anne. I'm so excited to chat with you. We talk so much on this podcast about how 
we try to live our life to the fullest and keeping our career in mind, like try not to let that lead all of our decisions and how we don't want our career to completely take over our priorities. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're such an amazing example of someone that maybe started out on a traditional career path and then decided to take matters into our own hands and decide your own fate. Yeah. Go crazy or just be inventive and be a risk taker. And I just am excited to learn from you because I'm all about that, like taking ownership of your choices and maybe taking the road less traveled. And then sometimes more often than not, actually that being the more successful path. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about how you got started in your career in tech, despite not necessarily being in that industry and just a little bit of an intro of your career story. It's a wild ride. (laughs) So it kind of started back in 1985 when my dad decided to retire from the military and he went to law school and my family settled in Seattle, Washington. And that changed the course of my life because they did not anticipate that literally just five minutes from our front door would be the personal computing tech revolution. So Microsoft is headquartered literally on the same hill where my parents' house is. They still live there today. Wow. So my very first job at 16 years old was actually working at a startup back before that term had even been coined. It was a five-person company, and I learned everything. It was a true boot camp, everything about running a company and scaling and using your resources really well and wearing all the hats at the same time. So it was really a crash course into it. And I think that's how entrepreneurism got into my blood because I had no idea what I was doing, but I was learning really fast and found that thrilling. So that was my first toe dip into the tech world, but I had no intention of that becoming my permanent career. So undergrad, I went to University of Washington and studied international studies. And I fully intended to become a professor. I, I thought the most fun I can imagine as a career is reading and writing books for a living. I was a very nerdy kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was plan A. But I graduated from undergrad in 2002. And that was just after the dot-com bust. And Seattle is a very tech-heavy city. So the economy had really evaporated overnight. Mm-hmm. And so there weren't really that many opportunities for students just graduating and entering the workforce. Mm-hmm. And that honestly, that bad luck was some of the best luck I ever had because long story short, that is literally the only reason I applied to Amazon in the first place and had my very first job after college working directly for Jeff Bezos in the foundational years of Amazon. That's how it all got started. (laughs) That's so crazy. It's so crazy. So, okay. So your first job out of college is working directly for Jeff Bezos. First of all, what was that role like? That sounds like a very simple question, but it's hard. (laughs) It takes a bit for me to answer because what I originally was hired to do in no way resembled what I ended up Uh doing. uh So I was hired. It took me nine months to get that job. Literally three rounds of very, very intense interviews for what I had applied for, like an entry-level admin job, like uh-huh. just be an assistant. Again, this wasn't my plan A, so I just wanted some work experience before I applied for PhD program. So I thought, sure. It had been recommended to me. I, while I was a student at UW, I worked at the European Union Center. Again, this was like the year that the Euro was launched, and it was a very hot topic. It was a great student job to have. And the director of my program knew I didn't have any opportunities after graduating, because no one was calling me back, and his wife worked in recruiting at Amazon. And that's literally the only reason I threw my resume into the stack. Oh, wow. So there was just this entry level, you know, generalist admin job that I was being considered for. Fast forward nine months later, there was an opening in Jeff Bezos' office, 
And I had scored really well in the first two rounds of interviews. So they considered me for that, even though I had zero experience doing anything that resembles that other than being like a receptionist at an office building. And it's kind of a famous story, but he only asked me two questions, honestly, because he had like 25 data points on me by that. One was a very intense brain teaser and the other was more exploring, you know, how were my, my goals, my passions, my direction in life aligned with where he was taking the company. And so he hired me on the spot for this admin job. But as I say, it very quickly evolved into something completely different through a series of crazy events. But that I think it's largely because the timing of the company. I mean, I joined before, this was before Amazon was yet profitable, which I know is unfathomable today. Mm-hmm. We were still in the red. We They had had one single profitable quarter, quarter, but not yet a profitable year. The board of directors was analyzing everything. All of our shareholders and investors were really, really invested in getting their money back because in the dot-com bust, they'd lost trillions of dollars overnight. And for most of them, this bet on Jeff Bezos and Amazon was the last thing standing. So we were doing wild things. And I think that's among many reasons why I got to do things far, far outside of my traditional job description. Totally. So you guys, right. You guys were probably in this mode where you were trying out so many different things and Mm -hmm. like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And I think (laughs) that those times, like those challenging times when you don't exactly know like what the route to success is, are the times that really teach you the most because Mm -hmm. That is what life is about, right? It's about like things being thrown at you and you learning how to deal with them and then conquer them. So what did that teach you specifically about entrepreneurship? It is truly the best masterclass business school apprenticeship you can imagine because the timing of it, I mean, that moment in time will never happen again where the internet was being invented, e-commerce was being invented, Jeff was figuring out what type of leader he wanted to be. So I think I learned among the most valuable lessons I think I've ever learned in my career was those early years at Amazon. I was there for three years. And in those three years, I think the number one thing I learned was resilience and the environment around me really encouraged it because I was doing things I had no idea how to do. For example, we were launching product categories. This was when they were just expanding outside of books. We launched jewelry. We launched sporting goods. We expanded into Japan there were just all these major, major milestones. And I, and honestly, no one around me knew how to do that. Mm-hmm. We, we were just making up as we went. And so what you had to do was we would do a lot of research. All of the meetings were focused around discuss, debate, and decide. There was no weather reports. There's no like, if it could be an email, you know, it was just meetings were very, very intense where you're just debating, debating, debating. And then, you know, we were making up the future. So we just made data-driven big bets. We would see how it went, pivot really fast, try again. And so there was this great environment where quote unquote failure was just learnings, accelerated learnings. And so it was supported and you had a lot of psychological safety to do some some crazy, crazy stuff. So I learned to be resilient, which was very important because all of this sounds very brave and exciting, but that was not my nature. I was actually very timid by nature. And so to be thrown into this very aggressive, fast moving, high performing environment could have easily intimidated me out of it. But because Jeff had created this uh, corporate culture of resilience, I learned by watching everyone around me and just did the same. I pivoted, tried again and did better next time. Totally. I mean, and it seems like that kind of mentality is what has led you to where you are today, right? So after 
so many years, you decided to leave Google and move to Europe yeah. with just like <laughs> I, just a few suitcases. And so obviously I can I can see and I can hear that that resilience and that like lack of fear for newness probably was instilled within you during those years. And I mean, I talk about leaving L.A. all the time. Like <laughs> I think about it every day, but I just don't have the guts to do it. I don't know exactly where I would go. I'm just, I'm scared of it. So I'm just so curious, like what was that initial moment of like, wait, this is maybe something I want to do. And then how did you get the guts to actually do it? I mean, it's not only a personal reinvention and completely starting fresh, but also professionally, like it's just, it's really, really admirable. And I look up to people who make such big changes because the lack of fear is, is really, really amazing. Well, I don't know if it's a lack of fear. <laughs> I definitely have moments, even now, I've, I've been based in Europe now four years. Okay. And I still have moments of like, what was I thinking? It's not easy. <laughs> I know living on the Mediterranean coast of Spain does sound very glamorous. And it is like, I am very happy here, but it's also really hard. So to back it up, how I got brave enough to even you know, dream the dream that I'm living yeah. now. Because yeah. I, you know, after three years at Google, and then I, I did, I did get into my dream PhD at Berkeley, which is what brought me to California originally, and then I got recruited to Google. Oh, I never thought I would. I was at Google for 12 years. Whoa, that's a long time, especially in tech, especially in tech. And so I did have this conversation with myself. There's three things that I, I now do. It wasn't this clear in the moment, but looking back, there were three categories I evaluate over and over when I'm making these big bets, despite mm -hmm. my very timid nature, mm -hmm. there's something that gives me the courage to take these steps. And there's three categories. The first is I do like to have an audit of, am I challenging myself? Am I sitting too firmly in my comfort zone? And you can literally, you know, if you're like me, a very data-driven head, you can literally go to your calendar and look at what percentage of my day am I spending firmly, firmly in my zone of genius? Mm -hmm. A zone of genius is a great thing, but it's also kind of dangerous because you're not learning anything new. You are the expert at the table. You have all the answers. You've seen it all before. That's great. But you don't want that to be a too high percentage of your day because otherwise you're, you're not learning new things. You're not having more experiences. It, it can really inhibit your, your future happiness because you're not growing. So that's the first category is I, I looked at my day and I was like, gosh, I'm spending more than 80% of my day doing the same things I've been doing for the last decade. Right. So I knew I wanted to disrupt that. You talk about being in the zone of genius. What does that exactly mean? Yeah, for me, well, there's the professional and then there's the personal angle. The professional okay. angle for me was in all the meetings, I was the expert. I was the one approving decisions. I was the one who had seen it all before. So I was kind of just rinse and repeating my expertise rather than actually growing my skill set, my knowledge base, my network. It was all the same cast of characters doing the same thing, even slightly different form, different people around the table or different product launches or different scales. You know, I, I had incredible opportunities in Google. I, you know, I, I grew leaps and bounds while I was there, but I didn't feel like there was a time where I wasn't really going to expand my capabilities. And then in my personal life, it was the same. I had lived in California for 14 years. I saw the same people. I was experiencing the same things. And I felt we have one single precious life. And I just felt like I was missing it. Even though I was in this world that does seem and was so privileged, it's an incredible place to be and it was so enriching. I just felt this itch, this little like there's something out there right. that 
I don't want to miss. Right. And whenever you have that little voice lean into it, it is, it is scary. It definitely is scary, but I, I wanted to take a chance. And I think it's because, you know, like you said about not being afraid to uproot yourself, mm-hmm. I think maybe a lot of those instincts of being willing to do things that are scary and foreign and hard come from the fact that I'm an air force brat. I mean, my dad, flew F4 fighter jets, like the first decade of my life. And we moved a lot. I went to a different kindergarten, first grade and second grade elementary schools. It was just always a new place where you had to learn to be really self-reliant and make friends and, and be able to, yeah, create your own comfort. You had to be resilient. So maybe it comes from that, but it is part of my instincts now to listen when I feel that little whisper of maybe there's something more and to lean into that. And then the second category of things is I look at the people around me. We've all heard that saying that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And look, I've been very privileged to hang out with literally some of the smartest, most influential people in the entire world. So I wasn't lacking for like incredible influence. But again, I felt like I know a lot of tech billionaires that's not teaching me anything new now. I want to go out and meet different kinds of entrepreneurs or different perspectives or people who are approaching you know, tech in a different way. And so I just kind of crave that influence. And the third thing is I didn't feel disrupted. I felt like if I wasn't pushing myself outside of my current comfort zone, literally, you know, in California or with that network of people who I, I considered family, or I just, I knew that if I didn't disrupt myself, I was letting someone else like the universe or this oncoming pandemic. I didn't know what's coming. Yeah. You were letting those then define your future. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So while it sounds like bravery, it really was kind of a calculated risk that I was taking of like, I feel this whisper that I made for something more. I desire, I I am a naturally very curious person. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to give it a try, but no, I, I, I didn't expect what has happened since I've been here. It's been a bigger adventure than I anticipated. Of course, uh, of course. Enriching one, yeah. And now a word from one of our sponsors. A lot of my outfits lately have been full of color and patterns. Summer is the perfect time to experiment with bold, funky looks. You don't have to live by the beach to execute a beach slash resort ready look. I'm sure we're all boiling right now, so there is no better excuse to dress like we are going to the tropics. Macy's can make your tropical take come true with scenic prints, blooming florals, and your fave foods in the form of dresses, blouses, and even pantsuits. Pick your pattern, then go head to toe to heighten the drama or pair with solids to keep it low key. It's your palette to do as you please. While trends come and go, you make it style. Plus, don't forget it's never too late for a swimsuit haul. There's so much of summer left. Macy's has a great selection Selection from brands like Lauren Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein. For all the summer inspo you need right now, visit Macy's.com slash own your style. And if you need a little help finding your style footing, or if you're a veteran that just needs a pointer, pair up with a Macy's personal stylist. Seriously love that they're doing this. I wish every brand did this. They'll help you put your look together either in store or from the comfort of your own home. Best of all, it's totally free. So head on over to Macy's.com slash personal stylist to book your appointment today. That's Macy's.com slash personal stylist. 
one of the best parts about having various experts on my podcast is the learning that comes with it. I get crash courses and important topics that have seriously helped my life. For example, there's an actual reason behind why your stomach hurts when you get anxious or nervous about something. It's because your gut, not your brain, is responsible for your stress response. So to manage stress and feel calm, you have to give your gut what it needs to thrive. I love Just Thrive Probiotic because it's recommended by some of the biggest names in the health industry. Bonus, we had their awesome founder, Tina, on the pod. Chatting with her gave me so much insight into how essential probiotics can be for our overall health. They're a game changer for helping you sidestep gas, bloating, and all other stomach issues you don't really want to think about or even talk about. And for next level stress management, I pair the probiotic with Just Thrive's breakthrough new formula, Just Calm. Just Calm's proprietary ingredients are clinically proven to do the almost unimaginable, reduce perceived stress, improve sleep quality and energy, and encourage better focus and flow. And right now, you can get 15% off site-wide when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code WIT at checkout. Now back to my chat with Anne. Now you're in Spain and you're consulting with entrepreneurs across the world, right? Yeah. How how did that come to be? It is a mm-hmm. really scary thing to all of it go from working for so long for other people and having that stability to then uprooting yourself, moving to a different country and then becoming your own boss. And like that is that's all on you now. So I can imagine yeah. that was a, a tough decision. And I'm just curious about what led you to wanting to do that? You hit the nail on the head, Whitney. Like those were all the hardest parts of it. I didn't realize how soft I got being in a major, like when I joined Amazon and Google, they were still small companies. Right. I knew everyone by name. Now they're these behemoths. Amazon literally has more than 1 million employees. That's crazy. Oh. But they weren't that when I was there. But right. by the time I left 15 years later, they were these well-oiled machines. I had all these experts. I had a team of assistants. I had, oh my gosh, do I miss my team? <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes. So what happened was I, I felt like it was time to shake things up around that time where I was itching for something else. I actually asked, I kind of kept one toe in as a, as a little safety net. And I asked if I could transfer the, to the Google London office. Cause I felt like I just needed to get out of Dodge. It was getting serious with my now husband, but I kind of wanted to try it out. Like you know, be based in Europe, see each other more often, see what happened. So I transferred to the Google London office with the intention of, okay, I might find a new role within the company or in Europe or something, but I didn't expect to do what I did. So while I I worked for Eric Schmidt, who was the CEO and chairman of Google for 10 years, and on the side, he has this personal venture fund called Innovation Endeavors, where he invests in entrepreneurs working on very important initiatives like climate change. And so when he would invest in these portfolio CEOs, he would often tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, could you have coffee with her and chat through this challenge? Or I'd love for you to meet this guy. He's working on something really interesting. And I think you would have some network connections that would be helpful. So I did it just for fun because I really missed that crazy like startup stage. And it was so fun to help them be successful in causes that we felt really important. So when I eventually decided after three months in the Google London office, I was like, you know what? I don't think this is enough change for me to grow in the way I I want to grow next. I decided to leave and I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't have another job offer. I could have got one, but they all felt kind of too similar. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to give myself six months for the first time in my life, take a breath, 
sit on a beach <laughs> and just see what resonates with me. Mm-hmm. But that did not work out that way. So what happened was these portfolio CEOs that I've been, you know, having coffee chats with, they were like, hey, while you're figuring out what you want to do next, I'd love to bring you on board for this particular problem I'm having or this project or this launch or something. And honestly, completely unintentionally before I knew it, I had a more than full consulting client list of these change makers doing incredible things who are all based in the beginning in California. And now I have clients across five different continents. And as a rule, I don't take two clients within the same industry. So I've got one fintech, one health tech, one ed tech, one whatever. That's been very challenging. And I've learned so much. It was exactly that itch I was trying to scratch of what's new, what's next, what's important, and how can we actually live the now Silicon Valley cliche of making the world a better place. And I I'm doing that every day, empowering those who are. Yes, it's really so amazing. I'm so interested in this kind of career path. So I just have two employees right now. And I've noticed that like, first step for me is having to be a cheerleader for myself and really believing in what I'm doing. And then secondly, which is totally to your point, is being a cheerleader for my team and making Mm -hmm. sure that like I'm calling out like all the great things that they're doing first, you know, and making sure that I'm really keeping things positive and making sure that like we were talking about, that there's just like a healthy mindset and that we're in a place where we can foster growth instead of just like, this mentality of working hard, working like quantity, you know, working like in terms of quantity as opposed to quality. A lot of people are young entrepreneurs listening to this and and they're just starting out. And so whether they're trying to get a new job or whether they have the first job, like it's, you know, it's a really competitive, hard workforce these days. And sometimes it feels like, especially in Los Angeles, and I know I'm in in a little bit of a bubble, but it feels Mm -hmm. like it's almost all about who you know and networking Mm and what advice do you uh, specifically have for all these listeners about networking and about getting your foot in the door and, and about setting yourself apart? Uh, Whitney, I think this is such an important question and I wish more people were asking themselves these questions. Yeah. Well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, We're here to answer these. Exactly. So I, I think this is going to sound like an oversimplification, but it's really very powerful is decide what you want to be known for. Mm-hmm. Because when you're not wrong, I mean, it is a lot about who you know and who's experienced you, but you're more in the driver's seat of that than it might appear, right? So first you want to decide, okay, how do I want to show up in this world? What are my values? What, where are my passions? And I'm not just talking about dream job. Like I want to work in, you know, be a CEO of Google. I'm talking about where you're at right now. Right. Like what's, what do you want to learn? What are the expertise you want to be known for? What leadership skills do you want? What books do you want to write? What stages do you want to be on? Whatever it that world is that you're in, decide if someone was going to recommend for me, if they were going to be like, oh, hey, you should work for Anne because she's X. Have a very simple single sentence where somebody can say, you have got, I've got to introduce you to Anne. Mm -hmm. And if you can decide that for yourself, then you can go back to that engineering serendipity and be like, how would I become known for that? So early, early in my career, when going back to the very first startup when I was 16 years old, I loved, I was you know, I was just hired to basically be an office manager, which meant do everything, like be the receptionist, stock the coffee room, do make photocopies. That was boring. But what the <laughs> founders were doing, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to learn that. So I volunteered for things that were outside. Of course, I did the, all those things, answered the phones, made the photocopies, made the coffee, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I would volunteer for things that at first surprised them. I'd be like, I would love to research that for you. Like, I know you've got this really big sales conference coming up or you've got this investor, like 
I put together a little research packet. I didn't know how to do that, but they were like, okay. At first you're met with like awkward silence and a shrug. Right. And then I was like, then I learned how to do it. You know, I'm sure my first couple were laughable, but I would be like, <laughs> was this helpful to you? And then they would be like, well, okay, this part was great. This part wasn't actually applicable at all. And then you learn. And so that taught them to think of me differently rather than the 16 year old who was just like clock in, clock out. They would bring me things that enriched my experience. And then I built those skill sets that were really passionately for me to take forward. So even though a lot of those early, you know, I, I actually write in my books, very hilarious, like huge mistakes I made while attempting to pull this off. <laughs> so you have to, you have to be willing to fail a little bit of course. and fail in front of people whose opinions matter to you, Yeah. but you, you establish how you're going to be known. And actually that is game changing. Mm-hmm. When you do that and people know how to rec- recommend you, like those founder brothers could recommend me as the most creative thinking, hardworking employee they'd ever had. That's a great sentence. And that will open one door. And then that person will open the next door. Honestly, the last time I interviewed for a job was 2002 with Jeff Bezos. After that, it's all been recommendations, people I knew working on projects and volunteering for stuff that I had no business doing and learning really. That is so important. I've never heard anybody say that before, but it makes so much sense, right? It's about not only just like dealing with your inbox, but thinking about how you're going to like enrich your boss's life or enrich mm-hmm. the work culture or add something different to the table and, and not being afraid to recommend those things or bring those things up. Like, yes. I love that because I mean, if your boss makes you feel bad for doing that or doesn't accept it, then maybe you're not in the right place. But I think that Amen. like, I think, yeah, like for me as a leader, I want to urge that. Like I, and, and Mm -hmm. I feel like it's sometimes up to the person in charge to make sure that that culture is known, right. That like that is wanted. Right. Yes. But I think that that's so, so important. That's so valuable. I think you've touched on two things. I really want to double down on Yes, because they're so important. The observations you just made. The first is about how do you get a yes? When you're like, Ooh, I I want to do something that's not in my job description. You just highlighted a really important key, Mm -hmm. which is if I'm in an innovative place, that allows for a little creative thinking, how can I set myself up for a yes? And I call this the win-win-win. So you, on your level, you want to win because you want maybe to own a cross-functional project or you want to collaborate with somebody you really admire and you just want to be exposed to how how do they run that meeting, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So that's your win. So when you go to your boss to make that request, you need to make it a win for her also. Right. How can I take something off her plate? How can she delegate something to me that relieves her and gives me an opportunity to learn that expertise that I want. Mm -hmm. And then how can I make sure that that thing she's delegating to me frees her up to contribute to the actual North star of our team or organization, whatever. When those three things are aligned, you get a yes every time, no matter how crazy it is. So So backing it up to that, I think is a recipe for success in this innovative environment. And now a word from our partner. The biggest thing I have on my personal to-do list right now is planning our two-week summer vacation. Newly is helping me so much with my packing plans. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $88 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month, access to thousands of styles from more than 300 brands in a range of sizes, fast free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in newly state-of-the-art laundering facility, and the option to buy what you love at a discount. 
Newly is designed to give you everything you need to get inspired, get creative, and explore your style. Check out new trends, silhouettes, and sizes without any commitments. It's perfect for bringing your closet up to speed this summer. So say yes to all the summer trends, sets, checker prints, crochet, without feeling the fast fashion ick. Newly is already a great value at $88 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $10 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code WITHWIT10. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com, that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code WITHWIT10 and sign up to get $10 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, Newly with two U's with code WITHWIT10. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. And now let's get into one more ad, a really cool company. Since we started renovating our office, all I do is gawk and interior design everywhere I go. I'm obsessed with Pinteresting everything. I analyze everything from counter finishes to tile textures to paint. Paint. There are so many color options with paint. It can be so overwhelming. Thankfully, an online paint brand called Claire has a fantastic system to help you create your dream space. Paint is one of the easiest and least expensive ways to totally transform your home and make it feel more you. Claire has a streamlined selection of designer curated colors, mess-free peel and stick paint swatches, and premium paint and supplies delivered straight to your door. If you're having trouble deciding, you can try Claire Color Genius, a fun quick quiz that's like having your own interior designer. You answer a few questions about your space and style, and Claire delivers a personalized paint color recommendation just for you. Claire also helps you paint like a professional. They offer expert guidance, including educational content and an inspiring blog full of home ideas, tips, and tutorials to help you create a home you love. So for your next paint project, definitely give Claire a try. Visit Claire at www.claire.com slash with wit to get started and use code with wit to receive $5 off your first gallon of paint. That's www.claire.com slash with wit with code with wit for $5 off. Now back to the conversation. In reading about you and like reading a little bit on your book, Bet on Yourself, I know you talk a lot about being a yes person and like how Mm -hmm. in a lot of instances it is a great quality to have in a job. And I know for me, when I'm interviewing people, I'm always thinking about like how open they are to whatever it is that I'm telling them to do. But I know that also in so many cases, personally, I felt this too, saying no is just as powerful, like especially when you're spread too thin and your eyes not on the prize. Like what specific advice do you have for saying no? Because that can be a really, really hard thing to do. Oh, okay. Yes. (laughs) It is so hard and there is a, a way to do it. So you reminded me of the second point that I put on my brain before. I'm so glad you circled back to this because this is so important. Yes. So in my, in my book, I share a, an analogy that was popularized in the book by Stephen R. Covey called the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. And he shares this analogy of rocks, pebbles, and sand. So imagine your day, your work day, or your personal day as a busy mom or something is like a glass jar. So it doesn't flex, it doesn't fold, it doesn't, it, it is what it is, right? And you've got these rocks, you've got these smaller pebbles, and then you've got these sand, and you need to get all of it in that jar. The order of operations is really important because if you put the sand in first and the sand is like, 
getting to inbox zero or responding to every little thing or making the coffee when it's not my job or whatever. If you do those things first, you can't do the meteor things, which it are the pebbles and the rocks. The rocks are what the company needs. If I could only do one thing today for my family, for my team, for my company, it would be this. You have to do that first. And that's how you get permission to say no to stuff. If you're finding that people are, and this happens especially early in your career, and it certainly did to me, people just throw stuff at you and they just say, oh, could you take care of that? Oh, you know, before you know it, you've got only sand on your to-do list. One, that's not a way that you're going to get a promotion and you're certainly not going to get, you know, a raise or advancement or be seen for your leadership skills. So what I did when I found that my entire to-do list was full of sand was I would go to my manager and say, here's everything on my to-do list. It was a shared document I had with her. And I said, here's how I'm prioritizing it. So that means that all this other stuff that I'm now calling sand, I'm either going to delegate that to somebody that for whom that might be an amazing growth opportunity, like I'll grow from the receptionist to be really helpful and whatever or something. And then I'm going to focus on this rock. That means I'm not going to be able to get this for you tomorrow. Is that the right prioritization? And one that shows them I'm being a critical thinker. I'm a total team player. I'm willing to do all the things, but I want to do the right things. Because if you put the rock into that glass jar first, the pebbles can then settle in around it. And then the sand fills in all those little crevices, those little tiny places with no effort. Right. But if you do it the other way around, it's not... Not only is it like not fun to be the sand person, it's also not valuable. Right. And they're not going to reward you accordingly. So I find just having that proactive conversation of like, am I understanding the priorities correctly really flips the, the switch on that conversation right. and allows you to say no to the right things and yes to the right things. Right. Because it's not even saying no to your bosses. Because like, obviously, no. I'm sure someone listening to this who has a boss is like, whoa, if my boss asked me to do something mm-hmm. like I'm not going to say no, but it's really about prioritizing. And like my mm-hmm. Annie, who will be listening to this and helping edit this, like at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. she came to me and was like, hey, I don't feel like I'm doing the best job mm-hmm. right now because I feel like it's just this to-do list that has no priorities. Mm-hmm. There's no structure. And she's like, what I do with your schedule is I have it so organized. Mondays are this day. Tuesdays are, you know, photo shoots. Wednesdays are podcasts. Thursdays, you know, she's like, and I do this for you. And like, I'm going to do that for myself. And I'm going to make sure that my week has a structure. And she, I went to dinner with her last week, just like for a check-in. And she was like, I can't even tell you how much more I'm enjoying my job and how much more I'm able to do with this new structure and with like looking at what is priority, what needs to be done first. And I see it too. So this point, like I've seen in real life, and I think it's so important to, to review in your own personal life, like personal life and professional life, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh, not enough. Myself included pot to kettle. I don't do this enough in my personal life. I heard someone recently say it's difficult to perform surgery on yourself. And I was just like, that, that is what I'm experiencing. Cause like I spend all day consulting people on maximum efficiency and strategy and like whatever. And then I go home and I'm like, what did I do this? Like this morning at this moment of like, it was 11. I was like, what have I done? Right. (laughs) You know, I'm like, wait, I'm moving sand. I'm doing the laundry and I'm putting the house for the cleaner who's coming. And I've got my dog to the vet and I'm doing those things. And I'm just like, I would never do this to my work day. No. What what am I doing? But yes, go Annie. All of us need to be like Annie and have these hard conversations. A, she did it with herself first. Yes. She was like, why doesn't this feel great? Yeah. What do I need in order for me to actually get in that gear where I am in max efficiency? She wasn't asking for less work, actually. She was asking, 
can I get into my zone of genius and efficiency? Can I organize? And, and boom, you said yes. 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 And, and I've seen the result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we touched a little bit on this, but like this work-life balance situation, right? Like I think this is constantly shifting just because, and, and it's different for everybody. Some people have a boss, some people are entrepreneurs and they work for themselves. Mm-hmm. So what they put in is exactly what they get out. Like it's, it's different for everybody, but are there any like mm-hmm. general tips for everybody who are striving to find this, this right quote work-life balance? Oh, This is the golden question, isn't it? (laughs) I feel like I go through cycles where I do this really well and then I get into old habits and I have to have that conversation with myself again. And so I just want to acknowledge that this is not easy. And I think it's because our circumstances change, right? We have different cycles in life. Maybe in your twenties, you need a different balance than you need when, if you're a new mom or if you're in a senior promotion portion of your career, whatever it is, we have to that balance will mean different things. And so it needs to be an ever-flowing, constant conversation with ourselves. But I do think there's there's some ways for us to engineer. In fact, I gave a talk at the tech conference South by Southwest in Austin this year on exactly this and how I did it very, very wrong at the beginning of this year. So you would think at this point in my career, I would have figured out how to calculate my own work-life balance, but no. <laughs> so I had, I'm obsessed with super performers of all kinds. I'm talking Olympians and billionaire tech CEOs, mm-hmm. like anything exceptional fascinates mm-hmm. me. So I got obsessed with monarch butterflies last year. Oh my God. Almost connected to what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so monarch butterflies have this, what's called a super generation. So there will be four or five generations of butterflies that fly north from Mexico, and they fly back to where they came from, you know, up the West Coast, through California, Oregon, up to Canada, right? It takes four or five generations to make that journey. And then there's a super generation that has to make the entire journey all the way from where they started in Canada, all the way down to Mexico, where they originated from. I mean, originated from, they've never been there, but they're five generations ago, that's where they started. Crazy. And this super generation has the same DNA. They have the same everything but their wings grow 20% bigger. They mature slower. They reproduce much later in their life cycle so that they can do this entire super journey themselves. And I, I just geeked out about that. I was like, I have to know everything That's really about amazing. how you can tap into the super generation. So I set a goal for myself. My new year's resolution this year was to do less, but better. Sounds like a great goal, right? Yes. That sounds like work-life balance. <laughs> no, it did not work out that way. So while I was like, okay, I want to do, I need to do less so that I can show up better. So I limited my number of clients and I did this assessment. There's an economics principle called Pareto's principle. He was an Italian economist in the 1800s and it's also called the 80-20 rule. So if you look at your life, your business, whatever, it's universally economically proven that 80% of your results are coming from only 20% of your efforts. Wow. So 80% of my revenue is going to come from 20% of my offerings. Okay. 80% of my productivity in my day is coming from a particular type of activity. If you, if you like, look at your shoe closet, for example, Mm -hmm. if you have a hundred pairs of shoes, chances are you're not wearing all of them, right? right? You're wearing 20% of them. (laughs) It's just everywhere you look, how many apps you have on your phone? There's only 20% of them you're actively using. So then I was like, so this is where I went wrong. I thought, great, I'm trying to do less, but better. And Pareto's principle says that 80% 80% of my results are coming from 20% of my efforts. So I identified what those efforts were. And I was like, I'm going to spend all my time in that zone. Mm-hmm. I almost killed myself. Yeah. I literally got so stressed. 
that I was waking up in the middle of the night, literally thinking I was having a heart attack, not old enough for a heart attack, but it really felt like that. And it was an anxiety attack because I was trying to live in this super performer mindset right. 100% of the time. So I solve for the result, but not the ratio. Uh-huh. So this is my way of answering your question about balance. I realized that the ratio was really important. 80% of my time wasn't being wasted. 80% of my time needs to shore me up, to give me the strength, the inspiration, the joy, the breath, to then show up in this 20% of my efforts that gave me all those results. Right. That's my pro tip. This is my mic drop moment for the listeners. Don't do what I did, but look at how you're spending your time. And is that enriching you? Right. Whatever it is that fills you up. If it's playtime with your kids or your dog, if it's taking a hike or moving your body or going to an art museum and just being inspired by something or a country or a food you've never experienced before, that's not wasted time. Right. It's like, instead of focusing on, mm-hmm. on the productivity, which you're going to do, like you're going to work, but it's all, it's, mm-hmm. it's p- making sure that you're putting a big emphasis on what actually fills you up, like what yes. makes you happy, because those are the moments. Those are the things that actually fuel the productivity. You can't have, exactly. like, you won't, you won't be fueled if you're just focusing on that productivity the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes so much sense. This when you see, when you outline it that way, it sounds so clear. And then we all slip it back into our own habits. But this is honestly a freak out moment for all of my consulting clients, these super performing CEOs, where I tell them, you know what, your calendar is back to back to back to back. There's no moment for inspiration, and your job is to have that vision, is to have that joy, to remember your origin story. Why did you want to do this in the first place? It's not. It can feel indulgent in the beginning. But when you go back to the exercise we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, which is how do I want to show up in this world? Like what matters to me? What fuels me? Then, you know, that will give you a lot of secrets of how do I fuel myself? For example, I love to read. I read three, four books a week, at least one that's really important for my job because I need to be current on what's happening in tech, what's happening in the world, what's, you know, you know, all these mm-hmm. moves really fast, mm-hmm. but I, it also fills me up because I'm, I'm actually an introvert, even though professionally I seem like an extrovert. Mm-hmm. I need that replenishment time. Then I can show up all day on zoom with my clients and like really coach them to my best <laughs> to the point you're making before. When I was in corporate world, the way I kept my work, I found was totally different than now as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. now. And honestly, it's so hard now. But I protect my time. I have one hour in the morning where I fuel my body. So I need to get some sunshine in my face. I need to move my body. Um, That's really important way I fuel myself. And then the second hour is I need to fuel my mind. And so I'm reading articles. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm exploring things that expose me to ideas and um, concepts that I've never experienced before. And then I'm ready to hit my day and really, really kill it. But if you don't protect that time, and I know now it's so much easier, but it, it was, it was, harder in different ways early yes. in my career. I think that, that. totally. Yeah. I think now that we are having, there's been this shift in the mindset. I think that we're having those conversations more and it's so important. And I always think that like culture is what actually shifts these things and people being open about this and talking about this is what shifts this because it's really easy to compare ourselves to other people, especially with social yeah. media being like, yeah. oh my God, this person's working so much harder. <laughs> They're getting so much done. I need to work 
hard or I need to do this. But like, I'm all about having the conversation, destigmatizing, taking care of yourself. Not that, you yeah. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. destigmatizing, maybe being a little bit lazy or destigmatizing. You know what I mean? All these things that yeah. maybe for an entrepreneur used to be like, oh no, like you, you cannot <laughs> take this time right now. Like we have to burn the, the midnight. We have to, what is the saying? Like, yeah, burn the midnight oil, burn the midnight oil and, and yeah. work as hard as we possibly can and stay up as late as we possibly can until we get this done. Like that mentality just does not work because your results are not going to be what you want them to be. Yeah. You just published a new book, Bet on Yourself, which I touched on for a second. Why did you decide to write this book and what can the readers expect to learn? So what I saw was I have had this very privileged position. Not many people get to work for Jeff Bezos and Eric Schmidt and Marissa Meyer and and, and see these moments in time that will never happen again. So I felt a great responsibility to pay that forward. What I really wanted to do was democratize success. I wanted to take these playbooks of these seemingly super performers that I've spent 18 plus hours with for 15 years. And I want to get that into as many minds and hands as possible, especially underrepresented entrepreneurs. And so I wrote the book to give you that playbook because at first I was hesitant author because I thought, well, if somebody wants to adopt the best practices of Jeff Bezos or Eric Schmidt, they've written books. But what I found was most of us aren't audacious enough to be like, hey, I can be the next Jeff Bezos. And so they weren't even trying. But my book is story-driven. So it, it is these crazy moments of like the beginning of my career and the foundation of tech and all these like wild things that happen behind the scenes. So it, it's a fun read. But I'm so grateful that that stood out to you of like what was most important to me is this isn't just a fun Silicon Valley Wild West story. This is actionable advice. These are the actual steps of how do you get that first promotion? How do you get recognized as a leader? How do you create opportunities for yourselves? I watched my CEO mentors do it. And then I was like, huh, how can I do that now as the junior most member of this entire company? What's my version of that? And so I hope it's much more relatable. And so people can, you know, honestly, there was a turning point when I was considering writing the book and I was still so terrified of doing it. One, because it's a lot of work. And two, you know, it's a really, you literally are putting it out there for people to judge. And this is my, it's a very personal story. But what made me do it was one, that idea of paying this forward. And two, I saw this silly thing on Instagram that has meant so much to me. It's kind of like my daily mantra now. It said, there's someone out there who can only learn it from you. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I have to show up for her. I have to pay this forward. I made all the mistakes. So she doesn't have to, I want to give her this playbook. So that's what it is. It's, it's a great, it's a fun read, but at the end of every single chapter, I have actionable challenges or questions or things that will guide you through creating your own mission, vision, and value statement, getting that promotion, getting recognized, and how to even like formulate these ideas for yourself so you know how to show up in the world and how to make seemingly wild bets on yourself really work out for the best, not only for you, but for your community. It's so true. And it's so powerful because everybody has a point of view and there's always someone listening. Yeah. What is the best career advice that you've ever received? And is there one thing that, that comes to mind immediately? Okay. I'm going to cheat a little bit. That's and okay. I'm gonna, can I share probably my favorite things I, I learned from each of my CEO? Please. Okay. please. 
because it's really hard to just pick one and you're right. I know. Like, we could talk for like the next decade of sharing like all the things that I've learned from them. Of course. And, and it's I also know. like read the book. Like yeah, read. Yeah. <laughs> this is a teaser. This is just yeah, a teaser. Yeah, exactly. And I also want to add an asterisk here. Like, well, I don't want this to sound like hero worship either. Like I know no. these people so, so well. I know their faults as well as their, their strengths, but uh-huh. I'll share a couple of their strengths. So from Jeff Bezos, I learned to be very choosy about the people you have around yourself, mm-hmm. to hold that to a very high standard. He, he hired teams of really, he, he hired for passion alignment rather than skill set. I am definitely case in point. I had no mm-hmm. skills, but I had passion alignment that he was mm-hmm. looking for mm-hmm. and the audacity to like, try, try again. So that's what I learned from him is to be very, very choosy and very purposeful in the tribe you assemble around yourself. From Marissa Meyer, who was my first manager at Google before she went on to be CEO of Yahoo, I learned how to invest in each of your employees. And she really taught me about finding that balance we've just been talking about. When I worked for her, this was early product. I mean, we were launching things that are part of our daily lives now, like on a daily basis. We were launching maps and street view and you know, image search and all this incredible stuff that's just daily habits now. And she was really worried about burning out her very young team. Like several of them were having, you know, kids for the first time. And one of her very talented engineers, Johanna, had two kids under the age of three. And Johanna was running our expansion to Bangalore. And Marissa went to her and was like, how can I prevent you from burning out? And Johanna said, please don't take me off of Bangalore. I want to learn how to do this. Like this is a project that means a lot to me in my career. And Marissa, but she's like, you know what I don't want is I don't want to resent my job because I keep missing dinner time and bath time with my kids. And Marissa's like, dumb done. Johanna didn't care about being on video conferences at 3 a.m. every single day as long as she got that. So she knew what, and Marissa called this finding your rhythm. So she taught me that each person needs to find their own rhythm. What fuels you? What makes you not resent your job? What do you want in exchange? And that is how you prevent burnout. And then from Eric Schmidt, who I worked for the longest for almost exactly a decade, I really learned courage. He, more than anyone, taught me to be courageous and to go after things unapologetically. In fact, he literally had this plaque on his desk at Google that said, if at all possible, say yes. Not saying yes to the sand. That is making room for the rocks. That is saying yes to something that scares you, saying yes to something that will teach you something, that will develop that expertise, expand your network, be brave and say yes. And so really, I was living that mantra when I got brave enough to leave Google and and try and follow his example. So those are the three biggest lessons. If I could only pick one from each. Yeah, no, those are so amazing. Well, this has been so awesome. I've enjoyed chatting with you so much. Thank you for taking the time at the end of your day to do this with me. Pleasure. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney E. Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.